My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Kyle Vos and Andrea Hatala. In the second half of the 1990s, a conservative government in Ontario reorganized the province's social assistance system into two main programs. The Ontario Disability Support Program, or ODSP, for people the system decided were disabled, and Ontario Works, or OW, for people that it decided were not. They also made major cuts, including to benefit rates, and instituted sweeping changes in how the system operated that made it harder to access, harsher, and more punitive. In the years after this, community legal clinics and other frontline social service agencies, not surprisingly, noticed immense problems. Specifically with respect to ODSP, this included widespread, unfair denial of applications to the program and major concerns with the rules and the treatment to which recipients were subjected. In response, the organizations began working together more deliberately to document the problems and advocate for change. In 2002, under the banner of the ODSP Action Coalition, they held 16 community forums in different parts of the province to develop a more complete picture and some recommendations for change. Over the years, the coalition grew and shifted. Perhaps most significantly, recipients of ODSP wanted to get involved. In 2009, the terms of reference of the coalition were changed to ensure that it would always have two co-chairs, one of whom must be a recipient, and that recipients comprise at least 50% of its steering committee. The coalition engages in a number of different kinds of action. This includes documenting the problems with the system that recipients face. It sometimes includes protest and various forms of lobbying and advocacy. Often, it involves work with conventional and social media. During the Liberal provincial government of Kathleen Wynne, it involved being regularly invited to consult with officials, though that open door has largely been shut since the election of Doug Ford's Conservatives. When possible, they continue to organize various kinds of conferences and forums in different parts of the province, and they offer a number of workshops to ODSP recipients around knowing their rights, navigating the system, and advocacy. Today's participants also talk about some of the many issues that the coalition has tackled over the years, from unfair rules, to unfair changes in rules, to features of the system that enact, in the words of one of today's participants and the title of a report published many years ago, denial by design. When the Ford government took power, they proposed a range of changes to ODSP that were of grave concern to the coalition. This included a shift in how the system would deal with recipients earning money, as well as the cancellation of a number of small improvements that the prior government had scheduled to go into effect. Of greatest concern was a proposal to change how the program defines disability, making it drastically more restrictive and seriously limiting eligibility for ODSP. The ensuing uproar and vigorous advocacy, including by the coalition, resulted in many of these proposals being withdrawn, at least for the time being, most notably the redefinition of disability. In the context of COVID-19, they've been working to ensure that those ODSP recipients who qualify for the Federal Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, do not have it clawed back from their ODSP income, 
Unfortunately, since this interview was recorded, the Ontario government has announced that they will claw it back at the amounts and levels that they do for employment income. And of course, a fundamental issue from the very start has been the inadequacy of ODSP rates. A single person on ODSP currently receives $1,169 per month. While this is higher than OW, a 2016 report found that at that point, a single person on ODSP was 33% below the poverty line, and things have likely worsened since then. So a high priority in the work of the coalition every step of the way has been fighting to have the rates increased to allow people with disabilities to live with dignity. Kyle Vose works for the Toronto People with AIDS Foundation and is the agency co-chair of the ODSP Action Coalition. In earlier years, he was also an ODSP recipient and served as the recipient co-chair. And Andrea Hatala is the current recipient co-chair of the coalition. I speak with them about ODSP, about the challenges faced by recipients, and about the activities of the ODSP Action Coalition. I'm Andrea Hatala. I'm the recipient co-chair of the ODSP Action Coalition. I've been with the ODSP Action Coalition for about 10 years, and I've done various activisty things before I joined the ODSP Action Coalition. I got involved with the ODSP Action Coalition after they were going to take away the special diet benefit, and so I've been with them ever since. And my name is Kyle Vose. I was the recipient co-chair of the ODSP Action Coalition. I'm a person that's been living with multiple disabilities, everything from cancer to HIV to heart disease to diabetes, some multiple health issues. I started working with the coalition because I was volunteering at my local food bank and I started getting involved with the Hungry City campaign, which became the poverty reduction bill. And then I got introduced to the ODSP Action Coalition back then, and I ended up joining. And then from recipient chair, I ended up getting a job. And now I work at an agency full time. And so they allowed me to keep on doing the work that I'm doing. And so I've been asked to be agency co-chair. The coalition, how it got started, it basically got started when the ODSP basically got rolled out. There was a bunch of legal clinics that were being bombarded with cases and people saying that they were being denied and they couldn't access the program anymore and it was just chaos for them. And so what they did was they had a meeting of all these different workers that all got together and then they created a coalition. As it grew and time went on, recipients wanted to get involved. And without recipient involvement, we're not really going anywhere. And so they decided to change the terms of reference to have it be not just agency, but to have recipients as well involved. And it needs to be a 50-50. And so the coalition grew even further. And so we started incorporating different groups. We had a really good working relationship with the previous government. And we did everything from advocate from changes, from special diets, Uh, And just let me interrupt here to explain a bit more about the special diet benefit, which comes up again later in the interview. This was an originally little-known benefit that provided additional money for food to people who needed it for health reasons. There was a broad-based campaign to get people signed up for it, which the ODSP Action Coalition took part in, and it got a bit of additional income to a lot of people who really needed it. The government's response was to drastically limit eligibility and amounts. Changes so that they didn't merge OW and ODSP doing things like advocating for the dental card to be digitalized, to go through the card, even to do the online reporting we advocated for. 
And so we do a lot of advocating and meeting with the government. We've also, when they decided to roll out a new program, the government in the past called us and said, this is what we're planning on doing. What do you think? And then we go, oh, well, wait a second. How will that affect this? And how will it affect that? And they didn't think about that and didn't have that answer. So we were able to help a lot with the government and advocating and making changes with ODSP and trying to make life a little bit better one day at a time. But then the Ford government, unfortunately, it's not as easy. They're not as willing to work with us as it was with the Wynn government. So it, it just makes things worse for everybody. So before we get more into the activities of the coalition, maybe a good piece of context for listeners would be to talk about what ODSP is and how it works. ODSP is the Social Assistance System for Ontario. If people are able-bodied and can work, they go on to Ontario Works. And if people have disabilities and are not able to work, they go on to ODSP. All across the country, there's provincial programs and things like that. A doctor has to fill out the form saying that you have a disability and saying that you can't work because of this disability and what's happening to you because of your disability is not enabling you to work. It affects your daily living. Yeah. If you earn more than $1,178, you won't qualify for the program. A lot of times if people are in a relationship, then you don't qualify because you would be depending on the person you're with that is income. And if their income is too high, then that disqualifies you. A lot of times people getting onto the program, it takes a, a lot longer, a lot harder because this program replaced the old family benefits program. The way the program was created, it was to deny by design. And then the new program that was created, the money that they gave you was drastically dropped. It goes back to a days when they used to joke in Parliament about people going in and buying dented cans from the supermarket because you could ask for a reduction because they were dented. Uh, this is a reference to an infamous comment made in the provincial legislature in the mid-1990s by David Tsubuchi, at that point the minister in charge of these programs in the government of Conservative Premier Mike Harris. The program's changed since then. There's been a lot of change in advocacy. So some of the things that were advocated for and changed was like a special diet, which gave about $250 more a month to not everybody, though. They played with these different programs, but then they felt like it was too many people were getting it. So then they had to change the program. So most people living on ODSD are living far below the poverty line. And so a person with a disability is forced to actually live in poverty in order to get onto this program. Just now you described ODSP as denying by design. What did you mean by that? So what I mean is most people that apply for a program, and Andrea, you probably have many stories that we've heard of how many yep. people applied for something and get told no. And you know that you're entitled to this, but they say no, well, because you didn't put this down or you didn't sign it this way or you didn't fill out this form. And there's always like a reason. People will get denied on to ODSP and they may have to apply two or three times and it's maybe something very simple that they need to do, but it's not very clear that that's what you need to do. Like, there's not that information. There's not that support. And then a lot of times, a lot of the benefits that we get, all of a sudden, they change the benefit from a mandatory benefit. And a mandatory benefit you have entitlement to across the province, and they have to give it to you, to a discretionary benefit where it depends on where you live, and it depends on maybe the time of year, or it depends on how you ask for it. 
Uh, so discretionary benefits are in theory supposed to let municipalities design programs to fit local needs, but in practice it often means that certain needs that are present across the province, say for special payments to cover one-time expenses related to moving from a shelter or to escape violence from a partner, get met for recipients in some cities but not others. And because these are not mandatory benefits, even in the cities that have them, once the money allotted to them for that year runs out, then often recipients who have that need after that point can't access them. Even the workers are so overworked that they don't have time to see you. They don't have time to answer your questions because they have too many caseloads. I could even talk about the computer system that came into power that instead of working, kicked so many recipients off to the point that every person that got kicked off, it took a worker two hours to put them back onto the system. What are some of the other core problems with the system? The rates are way too low. And if the yeah. rates are too low, people end up you know, just scraping by, they can't really live on the amount of money that they're given. But on OW, it's worse because people only get seven thirty-five mm -hmm. a month. And so that's one of the problems. It's hard to contact your worker when you do need to contact them. That's a problem too. You may get a busy line or you may have to leave messages on voicemail. And because there's such a big caseload, the workers sometimes don't even call you back. And there's not a lot of time to, you know, know your worker personally or even try build up a relationship of trust with your worker because they're just so busy that it's in and out. Then there's the fact that the rates for rent, the maximum is like $498. Like, where can you find a bachelor for $489 in Toronto? And then the other issue is that nobody tells you about what your rights are, like basically your benefits, what the benefits are and how to apply for them, how to get them. It becomes a whole issue there. So there's a lot of disconnect within the program, within communication. I mean, they're getting better, but it still has a lot way to go. And then we look at the clawback. So they want to encourage people to work, right? But yet you get clawed back 50%. Uh, so the way that it works is that ODSP recipients keep all of their first $200 of employment earnings in a given month, and then 50% of any employment income they make beyond that is clawed back from their ODSP payment. And for a lot of people, we're living in poverty. At least if the rates were to a certain level, then I could see why they would want to claw you back. But if a person's living below the poverty line, at the very least, they should be able to earn up until the poverty line before any deductions get taken off. It's really unfair that the money gets clawed back. And people complain about it all the time. People complain about their taxes, but this is like 50% of their income. And then why does it mean that because I'm a person with a disability that I'm not allowed to be in a relationship? Like I may have a high cost of medication, for example, right? Why do I have to incorporate that onto a new partner when they may not have benefits as well? If I'm on CPP disability, it doesn't matter who I'm with. The way that they've set up the program, like it feels a very infringement on people's human rights. Uh, here, Kyle's talking about the rules defining the circumstances under which ODSP will stop providing income supports and stop covering costs for medication and so on when a recipient enters into a new relationship, and about how substantial a barrier those rules can be to ODSP recipients having relationships. What kinds of actions has the coalition taken over the years? We do conferences. We used to do provincial conferences where people all across the province would come in, but we feel that doesn't do the community any service. 
because what you get is maybe one or two persons from one area of the province, and then they go back to that area, and then they get burnt out because it's so much work to do, and advocating and meeting with your local MP and creating these papers to hand out. And so what we decided to do was instead was offer up different communities that they will let us know when they want us, if they have a group of people, and we'll go out and do presentations. We do things like knowing your benefits which is like how to get on ODSP, what the benefit is, what to ask for, you know, those kind of things, right? Making sure that we're giving the information, the basics of the program. We also do advocate with confidence. And so we do different presentations so that we can give to the community and it's done by community members. So it's people that are on ODSP talking about their own experiences too. We use that to help educate other people in the community and hopefully build some activists that they start getting involved and start speaking to their MPs. So then we have this message getting in all across the province to the ministers. The Know Your Benefits presentations are really informative for recipients. We've done Know Your Benefits presentations at food banks and stuff like that. We go right from applying for ODSP and who can apply for ODSP, like all the A to Z of ODSP and the benefits that they can get from ODSP. And then, of course, we also do our protests and petitions. And, you know, we shut down the minister's Facebook page one day with a campaign. Or we support other people's campaigns if they're doing something. And we want the other people in our community to know about it. There was even talk about us going into the ministry and working with the ministry. Because one of the ideas was to have this peer program work with the ODSP recipients. So the ministry would pay ODSP recipients to have maybe a four-hour shift or an eight-hour shift. One day a week, they would go into the office, ODSP office. And when people on ODSP would come in and go, this is going on, what do I do? Okay, this is what you need to do. And here's what the form you need. And go get do this. Have somebody that's the recipient that understands and be able to communicate better. And then also how that person can help train the social workers on what life is like being on ODSP. We were hopefully going to have that implemented, but unfortunately, that got stopped. We did community assemblies a few years ago. We went to Muskoka, and we went to Scarborough, and then we went to Kitchener, and we went to Perth. And we met a lot of people there, and we spoke to a lot of people there. Like, these were people that were going through the same things as we were from around the whole province. And then we've even done things like webinars. We hold uh, monthly committee meetings. We have sometimes people come in to talk about what's going on. There might be questions. So right now, the big topic is the federal $2,000 for those people that lost their jobs. Because we have people in ODSP that are working and they may have been, you know, working part time in a restaurant or a hairdresser or doing different things like that, that they're not working right now, but they don't qualify for this new benefit because the way ODSP is written, that any money that they get from elsewhere would be clawed back dollar for dollar. Uh, As mentioned, since this interview was recorded, the government announced that it would claw back this benefit, not dollar for dollar, but in the way described earlier for employment income. So right now, the topic that seems to be very ongoing right now in the community is what about us? And so we've also done other radio broadcasts. We've done Zoom meetings. So sometimes like even a hospital is doing a peer group and they've, you know, asked us to do parts or do different things like that. And we've even gone out to other people's groups. So, you know, the CNIB will call us or another group might call us and do a presentation at their group or hold a table. And, you know, if we have a peer that's able to go out, we've tried to incorporate peer and get them to go out and talk about why we're doing this. What we're really lacking right now, though, is we're really lacking some agency support. A lot of agencies are afraid because of what's happened with the current government 
and anybody that kind of speaks up seems to get attacked or seems to have issues with the new government. So we've had a lot of agencies seem to want to pull back. And then the other people are being so overloaded with, you know, their work. So some of the legal clinics, because of the cuts they've had to have, a lot of those aren't able to do the work that they can in the past. We are looking for new members always to come and join us and help us. What changes has Doug Ford's conservative government made to ODSP? Well, thank God we were able to stop a lot of the changes. Lisa McLeod was the minister when Ford got voted into office. Uh, Meaning she was Ford's first minister in this portfolio. She wanted to change the definition so that not as many people could get on the program. She wanted to make the clawback 75% instead of 50%. We would be able to make $6,000 a year, but after the $6,000 a year, the clawback would be 75% instead of 50%. So that's pretty bad. And we were able to stop those changes, especially when Minister Smith came in. He sort of stopped the changes from happening. We've been complaining a lot and people said that it wasn't a very good idea. And I guess even his advisors said that it wasn't a very good idea. And then there was also the things that we had tried to get implemented before the election that was put through in the budget. So there was stuff like an increase each year of a certain amount to change the amount that you were able to earn to $400 and then 50% clawback. There was also to change the definition of a spouse because right now the definition of a spouse federally is that you have to be living together three years to be defined as a spouse. In the province, it's three months. And so there was going to be changed to three years. There was a couple other small changes that we were trying to get pushed through, just little small things to make life a little bit easier. And they all got stopped. We end up getting 1.5 increase instead of 3%. Uh, That is, the previous government had already committed to a 3% increase in ODSP rates that year, and Ford slashed it to a 1.5% increase, and has not increased it at all since then. Needless to say, the cost of living has continued to go up. So, when there's a reform that your group wants to win, or when the government has proposed something that you want to stop, what kinds of things do you do? When we wanted to stop the work-related benefit. It was a cabinet decision, and we were able to meet with the policy advisors of every ministry, and we were able to stop them from getting rid of the work-related benefit. And what we did to do that was we created a whole handout. We had a whole packet to give out, which was a diagram of the current system, and then the diagram of what the future system would be. We also did a survey where we surveyed our community and asked those that were working, if you no longer received the work-related benefit, we asked them some simple questions. Would you be able to continue working, you know, and how would this affect you? What would you miss out? And what would, you know, and so we asked certain questions that we could show to the government why this was a bad idea. When we met with the ministry, it was already a done deal. So we had to get it reversed. So we had to go around to each ministry with this little cartoon diagram. And we all had talking points. Almost all of them were recipients. I think there was maybe a couple that we had a couple agencies there. Yeah, usually there was three or four recipients and one agency person. And then we all had our time to talk. And so they all ended up agreeing that what they were doing was wrong. And it went against the poverty reduction bill. 
So we use a couple tools as the United Nations Persons with Disabilities, and then we also use the Poverty Reduction Bill. So any new bill that the government wants to implement, if it's going to make a recipient have less money going forward, then it goes against the Poverty Reduction Bill and they're not supposed to do it. Will it necessarily mean that they'll do it? I don't know. We've never really had that challenge yet. How far does a bill have teeth? I don't know. And the definition change and stuff like that, we were able to talk to, you know, health providers against poverty, which are doctors that say we would have a healthier society if we were able to give people in poverty more money. And because they're doctors, people listen to them. We've had a lot of groups like the Registered Nurses Association and Cancer Patients And so we've had to rely on people with privilege, if you will, to tell the minister that, you know, it's not a good idea for you to change the definition because you're putting too many people in poverty. Also, we use Twitter. We've done Facebook and we've done Facebook message. We've had phone calls where people will call. We even encourage people to maybe meet two or three people from their area. And they'll go to their local minister and go and have a meeting with them and take stuff that we prepared for them. We've done it where in the past when election comes up, we used to do a piece where people could have at the back of their door. So they had three questions to ask when they came, showed up. Uh, meaning candidates out door knocking. We try to be nonpartisan. We want to make sure that whatever government's in power, we're able to work with. They should be able to work with us and vice versa. We need to be working together, right? Because they're not able to do this without us. We're the people with disabilities. If they want to make this program truly better, we need to be working together. What are the coalition's key demands at the moment? The key demands at the moment in COVID-19 are not to claw back the emergency benefits if people can qualify for them and to raise the rates. The key demand is always to raise the rates because even on ODSP, the rates are too low and on OW, the rates are too low as well. And if you think about it, like, for example, the agency that I work for, we have what we call an essentials market or a food bank, right? And we basically are running, but there's a lot of food banks that aren't. So how many people in our community reliant on food banks and they've been closed because of COVID? But if people had more money, they'd be able to buy their own food. They wouldn't need to rely on the food banks, you know? So we will always stress for raising the rates and addressing the fact of the rents. That's the other issue. You know, how many people are living together and, you know, you're supposed to be in isolation, but you're sharing a two bedroom apartment with three other people, you know, or four people because that's all you can afford. And we want it to be easier to have a relationship or to live with somebody on ODSP. We don't want to have to claw back their income. To be treated with dignity and respect. Yeah. And we want the definition of spouse to change to cohabitating for three years instead of three months. And no change to the current definition of a disability. It's hard enough for people to get on. There's no reason to make it even harder. Yeah. You have been listening to my interview with Kyle Vose and Andrea Hatala of the ODSP Action Coalition. To learn more about the background of the coalition, go to odspaction.ca, or to find out the latest, search for them on Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 